We use a phrase in English to describe something that needs to be talked about but isn't. Something that is obvious but is being ignored. Maybe because it's too awkward or uncomfortable to address. We call it an elephant in the room. It's an English idiom. An idiom is a well-known expression that makes a point different than what it actually says. The specific phrase is based on the idea that an elephant in a room would be impossible to overlook. Therefore, people in the room who pretend it's not there have chosen to avoid dealing with the looming big issue that the elephant represents. Now, we've all experienced an elephant in the room, and most likely we've all been the elephant in the room. It's not pleasant. And I think this is one area that Jesus seems to understand quite well. He seems to be able to see all the elephants, most likely because he's used to being the elephant in the room. I want to tell you a story about four elephants. See if you can find them all by the time I'm done. Luke, in his biography of Jesus, gives us a story that's not found in any other gospel. Now, Matthew, Mark, and John tell a similar story, but only because it involves a jar of perfume. The house, the people, the circumstances are all very different in Luke's telling. And this morning, it becomes our zoo, filled with elephants. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, he records this story that there was a prominent Pharisee named Simon who invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his house and reclined at the table. Now there was a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. And she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisees, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, and he'd know what kind of woman this is. She's a sinner. Now let's interrupt the story here for a second. Luke has told us that Jesus arrives and reclines at a table. There are other guests. One of them seems to be this mysterious woman, a woman who seems to be amongst this crowd of guests. Besides the big jar of perfume, she has quite a local reputation that apparently everybody knows except the reader of Luke's biography. A couple of quick things that I think are important. I've read that it wasn't uncommon for prominent religious leaders to host banquets with guests in the first century like this. And sometimes they would invite people into the courtyard to listen to the discussion. Maybe that's how this woman would have been included in this crowd. This woman's actions make her an elephant in the room. A couple of observations. This woman's reputation seems to be easier to remember than her name. What does that say? Luke, who writes this account, says that she had lived a sinful life in that town. That's all the backstory we get. There's no name, only a reputation. It's all about what was. Her past life, possible vocation, is spoken of in the past tense. Therefore, we can assume that not only has she heard of this Jesus, but perhaps a changing has already begun and begun to influence the way people looked at her. What's interesting here is how, how did she get here? No one is shocked by her presence, it seems, only by her actions. And what happens next? confirms her as the big thing too obvious to overlook the elephant in the room 
Luke writes that as she stood behind Jesus at his feet, crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now when the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who this is touching him and what kind of woman she is, for she is a sinner. Now everything about what unfolds here seems shocking. She undoes her hair, pours perfume, the kissing of his feet, everything about her actions seems offensive to somebody in the room, except the attitude that feeds it isn't offensive. It makes these actions actually beautiful. Well, this is awkward, but for who? For Simon. See, he can't imagine how these circumstances could be good because he's made assumptions in the present about her past. Simon can't separate someone's failures from who they are, it seems. Not unlike most of us, we have a hard time letting people change. She isn't allowed a future and is forced to stay in her past. It's interesting to observe Simon's reaction. He seems to push some of the blame to Jesus. His inner thoughts must have been understood by his facial expressions, honestly. If this man were a prophet, he thinks, he'd know who's touching him. I imagine Jesus is thinking the same thing of Simon. How can this man be missing this? How can he not know what kind of human she's trying to become? Jesus is aware of what kind of woman she was. The irony is that Simon doubts that Jesus is a mere prophet, yet Jesus seems to be reading his mind. Or maybe he's just reading his face. I bet it was hilarious. So awkward. Jesus responds to Simon by telling him a parable. Two men owned a money. Two men owed a money lender some money. Jesus says, Simon, one owed 500 silver pieces and the other only 50. Neither had the money to pay him back, so the lender canceled the debts of both. Which one likely appreciated this act more? I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled, Simon responds. Hmm. He had the right answer, but he has the wrong attitude. And his attitude makes him the elephant in the room. You see, we've seen this before, haven't we? God doesn't care if the answer is right, if the attitude is wrong. Tell that to all the fundamentally misguided who think that faith is about being right where others are wrong. But no, faith is about coming alive where you were once dead. For many, it's easier to say the right thing than it is to do the right thing. Someone once said that we cannot compromise love when proclaiming the truth, because truth is the love or because love is the truth we're trying to proclaim. The next move at this table is significant. Jesus turns towards this woman, but yet speaks to Simon. Are you tracking with this? Jesus is looking at the woman. He sees her. He saw the elephant in the room. Why? Because he's also the elephant in the room. And they look out for each other. Do you see this woman, Jesus says? It's a great question. Simon's going to say yes, but we know the real answer. No, he doesn't. Not really. He knows she's there, but he didn't really see her. He only saw her reputation. He saw his reputation. He saw Jesus' reputation. But he doesn't really see her. Not like Jesus does. Jesus says, Simon, I came into your house. You didn't offer to wash my feet. Customary, but I wasn't offended. But she comes in. 
and she wets them with her own tears and wipes them with her hair. And you're offended. You did not greet me with a kiss when I arrived, which could have been customary. Jesus wasn't offended. But he says, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. And you're offended. You did not offer oil for my head, which is sometimes appropriate. But it's okay. Jesus wasn't offended. But he says, she has poured expensive perfume on my feet. And you are offended. I tell you, her many sins, her failures, her her shortcomings are no longer in her way. This is what is meant by Jesus' words when he tells her that her sins are forgiven. Her past is no longer in her way. What is stopping her from living is everyone else's attitudes, not her own actions. Jesus' answer has made him the elephant in the room. In Jesus' parables to Simon, this woman's sins are equated to economic debt. Her vocation or her actions weighed on her like a debt. She most likely wanted the right things, but was just looking in the wrong place. It's like that with so many things in this life. People just want to be happy. They want to break from their fears, from their sadness, from their pain. Those are good things to want. But we're looking in the wrong things to bring life. Things that can't. I wonder if this woman is one of the crowd of people who just two chapters earlier had gathered to hear Jesus speak about loving those who want to see you ruined, about being merciful, about forgiveness. I wonder if she was one of the ones who heard Jesus say only two chapters earlier, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Did she hear Jesus say those words? She must have heard something. Something that has inspired her to believe that she's worthy of more than she once thought. She's becoming. We really do need to allow people to change. Knowing we ourselves may need the same grace one day. If we lived in a world where people were allowed to change their minds without being ridiculed, If we were in relationships where we allowed each other the ability to grow, to change. Now, it's true that you you don't have to have lived a horrible life to appreciate things like grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness. But sometimes, a privileged life forgets the power of those things. Seeing someone make radical changes that allows them to come alive should give us all hope. It's true, seeing somebody else experience life where there once was death or hope where there once was despair has the desire to profoundly affect us. But some of us get numb to it. We can become numb. We can become deaf to the newfound joy of others, skeptical, cautious. Or maybe we just miss what God's doing because of how God's doing it. Sometimes our past is more harder for others to let go of than it is for us. To be clear, this isn't a story about wanting someone to change and judging them until they do. That's terrible in and of itself. This is a story about someone who's trying to change, but can't be seen as anything different. But you see, she is not the only one with a reputation in this room. Jesus also has one. Jesus sees potential. And not in the future, he sees it in the present moment. You are more than the sins that brought you here. You have permission to change. Now, I don't know. I know we don't need permission to change, 
But sometimes we've believed everyone else for so long that we need to hear it again. We need to give ourselves permission to be more. In this encounter, the woman has the right to change and be thought of differently. But here's the catch. Are you ready for it? So does Simon. Simon isn't the bad one in this story. He's just stuck. Simon, like all of us, needs to be gently confronted. Others can hear the judging thoughts in our head by the look on our face. And you know what? Simon has permission to change. Simon is us. This story inspires me to change the way I judge others. It inspires me to believe that God's message of hope and grace is enough to transform those looking for change. And let's assume the same of Simon. Let's not judge him. Let's assume that he was inspired as well. And if you're like me, you've just found the fourth elephant. At the end of this account, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus looks at her and he tells her that her faith has saved her. The word for faith used by Luke means her strong convictions of truth. The word saved, so-and-so, literally means rescued, made well, made whole. Her strong convictions and her bold actions, these have rescued her. She believed that he believed in her. And then he tells her that she can go in peace. You're darn right she can go in peace. Rescued from her reputation, rescued from her past, rescued to her future, rescued to a transformed life. This is incredible stuff. And advocated by this great rabbi in the house of a who's who. Vouched for, defended, dignified, justified, restored. Our past, our mistakes, our reputation. These are things we all need to be rescued from. And this is God's business. Change. Sparing us from what we've made of ourselves. Rescuing us to what we can yet become. And often, it's all that pain that heightens the sensation of grace. When you get the gravity of what you're being rescued from, your actions can match. You may be bolder. You were lost, but now you're found. Blind, but now you see. Dead, but now are alive. Prepare to be misunderstood. This is a story of a woman who is trapped by a past. It might be 2,000 years old, but it happens to us. And we do it to others. We find ourselves at this dinner table more often than we like to think. But in the end, ironically, what if the real elephant in the room, the obvious truth that's being ignored or goes unaddressed, is that we all have the ability to change, to become. We carry the potential to be more than our past, and some of us just need to be reminded of that. So may you see what God sees. May you feel the freedom from your past, from your failures, from the expectations that you haven't been able to meet as you free others from theirs. And maybe that's the first step in believing that you can be more by letting others be the same. Mm-hmm.